Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georges. Welcome to the second hour cruise for the news. Stories I'd love to talk about longer, but I don't have enough time. So I'm just going to touch on these stories. One thing, we've been following this story for quite a while, but I want to loop back and mention it again. In the country of South Africa, as we've talked about in the past, there is a an effort to essentially have a land grab occur by the federal government taking away land owned by white landowners and uh, transferring that to black landowners. And it's not exactly a direct transfer of land ownership, but the first point of it is this is a long, uh, this is a retaliation against what occurred with apartheid, which actually ended in the 1990s. It began in 1940 and the 1990s. But as the uh, federal government move has moved forward, they appointed a commission that is going to come back with a report. They're now essentially saying... By March of 2019, the, uh, a statement want from one of the federal government officials was, your time is up, white people. Literally, they have, there has been ongoing extreme violence in South Africa, just horrific attacks against white landowners who have did not inherit, many of them did not inherit this property after decades and decades of abuse. These are new landowners. Some of them only bought property there 20, 30, 40 years ago, have developed it, and now it's going to be taken away. And it's it's in combination with the, uh, it's a very Marxist kind of idea because the government's going to own this property. They're really just taking control of it and passing it around. Uh, horrific violence there. And this is a uh, very, you know, tribalism doesn't begin to define how evil this or describe how evil this is, but that is a Apparently, actually going to happen. On a good news story, I love doing good news stories about America. There is an NFL, I guess he's now a former quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Warwick Dunn, um, who I guess was a great uh, quarterback. I don't really know, but I learned something about him. I just want to share with you. His mother was a Baton Rouge police officer who was shot and killed in the line of duty while he was a senior in high school. He raised his five siblings while he was in college graduated, went on to play in the NFL, and with all the money he's earned, he built and paid for over 145 homes for single mothers, literally sacrificing millions of dollars. And so I'm going to say again, America is a great country full of good, noble, generous people. Love that story. Love to get a little bit of a shout out. I wanted to give you a caravan update, um, which is you know, the caravan is still hanging around the southern border just below San Diego, just below California, the Mexican side. Many of the caravan people have turned around to go home because they've realized the ruse didn't work. But one amazing fact came out in the San Diego Union this week, which was the International Socialist Organization, and I don't speak Spanish, so I won't say it correctly, Plebos in Fronteras, People Without Borders, have essentially abandoned these migrants. They finally figured out the the migrants want to come to America, and you know some of them they, they are poor. The migrants are really the uh, the pawn being used by these international socialist groups. UN involved, George Soros money involved. Point is, when they finally figured out the Trump administration was not going to reply, was not going to help them. 
um, San Fronteros gave up on these people. They've abandoned them. So now they're down there. Some of them hovering around, waiting to find out if they might get amnesty, get um, asylum, the other uh, not. And I got to tell Greg, my happy board operator, the clock is not working. I have no idea where I am on time. Okay, you got to tell me, buddy. <laughs> and then next thing is uh, to mention on this cruise of the news is Paul Ryan in a parting shot, proving once again he never should have been the Speaker of the House. He's pushed a stealth outsourcing amnesty for Irish lobbies, especially especially essentially trying to get uh, special immigration provisions for Irish immigrants. I think he's Irish, isn't Paul? Yeah, I think he is. Anyway, this is some stealth bill. This is just like shenanigans again from inside uh, our own Republican side, playing games, uh, hiding it from. Um, you know, hiding it from the people, I guess, is now that it's come out public, they might have to back off on it. The last thing is we approach Christmas season. I will tell you that there are always stories about public schools not clear on whether there's any First Amendment right or freedom of religion in public schools. So now we have a, um, a principal in Nebraska... An elementary school principal, principal in Nebraska, has placed. Um, he was placed on leave for doing this, but he had told the teachers that they had to avoid celebrating Christmas in their classrooms. Couldn't have Christmas-themed ornaments, including couldn't have candy canes because the shape of a candy cane is a J. It stands for Jesus. So this this is this. You know, we've talked about this a lot, and I'm going to have a special show dedicated to religious freedom coming up right before Christmas. But this is the consequence of decades of relentless assault on the American understanding of the First Amendment. You have the Americans United for Separation of Church and State, you know, all the um, ACLU, uh, these pro-atheists, they're, they're strident atheists in the bizarrest of, oh, should be a, a mixed metaphor, strident atheists determined to drive God out of our country and out of the public life have caused people like this principle to think that the safer, more constitutional, better thing to do is to simply ban all reference to religion. But he was placed on suspension, which is a really good thing. Okay, coming back after our break, folks, I have a great guest in studio tonight. I'm going to introduce him now before we go to our break. We have Frank Gaffney in studio. He's the founder of the Center for Security Policy. He's joined us many times in the past, and they are just a blessing to America and to the national defense of our country, a blessing to those of us who want America to be strong and free. We're going to talk about a lot of issues facing America, including our deal with China, North Korea, what's happening, all sorts of issues that we've got to face as Americans and understand better. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk on Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes. Frank Gaffney with us after the break. Patriot Paws Service Dogs is a national nonprofit whose only mission is to train and provide service dogs of the highest quality at no cost to disabled veterans with mobile disabilities. Patriot Paws has unique partnerships with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice and with Texas A&M University to help train their dogs. Not only are the dogs saving veterans' lives, they're changing lives from prison cells to college dorms. It takes two years and costs $34,000 to train 
one Patriot Paws service dog for a disabled veteran. Would you consider helping a disabled veteran get a service dog? Visit PatriotPaws.org. Patriot Paws has over 80 veterans waiting for a service dog and receives hundreds of calls each month from other veterans asking for help. Visit PatriotPaws.org and find out how you can help. Follow Patriot Paws on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and consider a donation at PatriotPaws.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org.
And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. As I mentioned before the break, we have Frank Gaffney joining us in studio. Hello, sir. Hi. It's good to be here. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> you know what? My pleasure. And when we come back, uh, I'm going to let you, Frank, start telling our listeners, if you would. Frank founded the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., and among the many things they do is just try. Frank brings his experience from the years working in the Reagan administration understanding that to fight the battles we have against America's enemies, it's never just military, that we have to fight it in many, many ways. And he has raised awareness uh, of the dangers we face with respect to radical Islam and many other dangers. So I've taken a whole slew of stories off your website tonight, which is centerforsecuritypolicy.org or securefreedom.org. Okay. So I want to start with um, the situation with Saudi Arabia— we're well aware that Saudi Arabia had, well, first of all, I should say, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Know. you. <laughs> Glad yeah, I think you did. I'm welcome. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's a, um, uh, America's watching this situation in Washington, feeling like there's, uh, Kasaji was murdered, obviously, uh, by the Saudis in some way orchestrated by them. And the question is, what does America do about that in our relationship to Saudi Arabia? So what is, what would she do? I have been critical about what Saudi Arabia has been doing for decades in this country and uh, in a lot of other places besides, Debbie, as you know, this is a regime that has, uh, throughout its history, embraced and promoted um, an extremist, Sharia supremacist view of the practice of Islam, building mosques in our country and elsewhere around the world, um, working with the Muslim Brotherhood to promote subversion, what the Brotherhood is called civilization, jihad. It has, in short, been a financier and enabler of jihadism of both the violent kind, uh, notably Osama bin Laden, a Saudi himself, as well as a host of others that are engaged in what I think of as the Brotherhood's kind of pre-violent jihad. So with all of that said— how is it that I come to the conclusion that the Saudi regime under Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS as he's known popularly, is actually the lesser of the evils that we're now facing in that part of the world, including Turkey, Qatar, the Muslim Brotherhood, now pretty much at odds with MBS and his current uh, Saudi government, and of course, Iran. The trouble is, I'm afraid that if we were to do something really punishing of the Saudis, we would almost certainly wind up benefiting people who I think are definitely the greater of evils in that part of the world now, namely the ones I've just mentioned, Turkey, Qatar, the Muslim Brotherhood, and Iran. So my view of this is that what we should be doing is obviously where we can find the people who were immediately involved in this horrific murder, hold them accountable, punish them appropriately. But how can we do, aren't they all over there, right? Yeah, they're all over there, and there's not much we can do about them other than sort of sanction them or keep them from coming to the United States or, you know, doing international business. It's like diplomatic. But the question well, is, should we be encouraging a rift between the government of Saudi Arabia and the United States, as long as Mohammed bin Salman is in power, and effectively is. He's, his father is a doting old man. Yep. 
this is not a time, it seems to me, to be doing that, and therefore I would not take part or recommend a course of action that is going to bring him down, perhaps, or otherwise alienate him at a time when I think we need him. So this MBS, the um, how do you say his name? His full name Mohammed is Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah, the guy who's head of Saudi Arabia or in Crown at least Prince. Crown Prince. Right. He's trying to bring changes. I mean, that's what was so disappointing. He was is trying to bring changes, kind of trying to modernize Saudi Arabia and maybe push back against the most extreme of the imams and trying to just insist they've got to join the modern world. That's why I just if he so it's, I agree with you that I want to have I want to encourage anyone trying to modernize anything in the Islamic world. Yeah. Having you said know, that, was it, he involved? I mean, was he believed being uh, not? physically involved, but was he believed to have directed this operation? Well, the Central Intelligence Agency has reportedly concluded that's so. They've told a bunch of senators that now believe that that's so. The Turks insist that it's so. The government of Saudi Arabia says it isn't so. The president of the United States says he doesn't know that it's so. I certainly don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. But let's face it, there isn't a single leader of any of the nations that I've just mentioned, certainly not Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey, who is the one who's most actively insisting that something has to be done to harm, you know, bin Salman and his relationship with the United States. This guy has been doing horrific things to journalists. And this guy, I'm not sure, was really a journalist. But this is this is a standard that he won't satisfy if that becomes the form uh, that we're going to follow in the Middle East from now on. My point is this. What. Mohammed bin Salman has been doing, Debbie, I believe, is pretty much what President Trump urged him to do when he went to Saudi Arabia. Remember that trip early I in do. his presidency? I was kind he of cheering him on. Yeah. He said, drive them out. Drive them out. By which he meant the kinds of people that Mohammed bin Salman has been driving out, some of whom are Saudi princes some of whom are people who are billionaires in his uh, you know, country, some of whom are the Muslim brothers, some of whom are the people funding the jihadists, including the mullahs. So these are the people that I think it is very much in our interest to have the Saudis help in driving out, and I hope he'll continue to do it. Yeah, that is such a good point about back when President Trump met with him. It was part of what he was trying to get Somebody over there in the Islamic world, and he was in Saudi Arabia saying, you know, we can't. I mean, he was a little bit echoing al-Sisi's tone, too, you know, when he gave, gave that speech like New Year's Day 2015 or 16, whatever that was, where he Al-Azhar. basically yeah. Yeah, just, just said, this, we cannot carry Islam forward in the in the way we have been. Are you? In fact, it was al-Sisi said, you can't really think you're going to kill like 5 billion people on the earth. Is that Can you really? And so... I love what what um, what MBS was doing. I also thought there's this is not like this is the first. I mean, it, the world in uh, the Middle East is full of violence. I know this guy was he wasn't an American citizen, but he was an American person or something. Some status here. He was had some legal status he had a legal here. Kasaji. Status, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the the idea that we were going to have several relations with the kind of only relatively rational you know country over there, except for Israel. Over this one thing, it always seemed very extreme to me and dangerous. Well, and, and here's the other point. What I think is really going on is the Saudis have finally, with our help, I think begun to turn the tide in Yemen 
against the Iranian proxies there, the so-called Houthi rebels, who are determined to try to not only use Yemen to attack Saudi Arabia, but also use it to give the Iranians the kind of control over the access to the Red Sea that they currently enjoy over the access to the Persian Gulf. These are two hugely important waterways, among other things, for the shipment of energy to the rest of the world. This would be a disaster. And when you see this insistent pressure, including from people on Capitol Hill, that we've got to stop supporting the Saudis on Yemen, we've got to cut it like Vietnam, we've got to just cut them off and we've got to walk away from that, nothing would make the Iranians happier and nothing would be more detrimental, I believe, to our vital interests in that part of the world ugly as what's going on in Yemen is, and it surely is. I even think just the extent of attention in the world already to what they did to Kasaji has probably caused a little bit of a step back with inside, with inside Saudi Arabia. I mean, I don't know if they thought that they would, their lie, they, they first had a story of it wasn't really them, it was, you know, he tripped on it. No, they didn't say he tripped on it, but it was but you know, they had a bunch of stories that they came up with. But I think the international pushback, even for them, even for them to be hearing from the, uh, that the American government, that the Senate are, is concerned that serious U.S. leaders are urging that. Well, we have like 30 seconds left here, Frank, but, you know, I, I, I guess I'm gonna, we're going to zip off to a break and we'll come back to this. But it is really true. People who pay a lot of attention to what's happening in the Middle East, the Ira- keeping the Iranians in check, which is one of our primary goals. Job one. Yeah, yeah, has to include the idea that we're going to not completely undercut Saudi Arabia, who's among the main ones helping us to keep Iran in check. I don't know who else will do that, and maybe other countries step in, but this was a, it was just a huge effort. So um, this is Debbie George Ass on America Can We Talk? We have Frank Gaffney in studio. We're zipping off to a break. We come back. I'm going to run through with him uh, the FGM, uh, the China's debt trap diplomacy, the cutting down of the FGM law, and America First Broadcasting. Debbie George Addis, Frank Gaffney, America Can We Talk? Come right back. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country. 
based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I have in studio tonight Frank Gaffney. I'm going to keep smattering in a little more of introduction of you, but Frank Gaffney is here. Uh, he's from Washington. He's here in Dallas, which is great. Um, and he found the Center for Security Policy. Part of what he does, among many things, is he does a regular radio program, Secure Freedom. And uh, his organization, Center for Security Policy, puts out many publications. I urge you to go to that website. They're just, it's so chock full of information that really is timely and clearly written and and all relevant to uh, securing America and keeping America safe. So I'm grateful for all your work. And I want to just turn to this, um, the next story, which was, you may have heard, in fact, we talked about in this show um, with uh, your friend who is uh, the FGM expert, uh, York. Elizabeth Yor. Yor, Elizabeth Yor. So there were cases in um, the state of Michigan in which Islamic doctors were actually performing FGM, female 
genital mutilation on young girls who've been brought into the state. Uh, some some are from Michigan, some from out of state. And female genital mutilation, in the very quickest of explanations, it has occurred in other religions, but it is largely is prevalent in Islam. It is a, a grotesque, painful, disfiguring, permanently scarring uh, procedure often performed without any uh, painkiller uh, and in other parts of the world performed with unclean instruments and it involves uh, either partial or complete um, cutting of the female genitalia. It's simply just the most excruciating and it is also just a, a sick mindset that is, is determined to uh, encourage or tr- determined to put in place that women shouldn't have sexual pleasure. This is part of the main goal of it. Men, it's just a grotesque, grotesque thing denounced around the world. So in America, we had a um, finally have a prosecution of this, these Muslim doctors doing these young girls and the federal law under which these doctors were being prosecuted was struck down by a judge as unconstitutional. And so you were, we were actually talking about it on the break. But this law was struck down as unconstitutional. And I was saying, and I'll let Frank jump in because he's obviously more tuned into this, but um, the idea that the, fe- the, the idea was that by the judge, as I read it, was saying that there was not sufficient, uh, is a federalism argument that there wasn't, this was a state law issue, shouldn't be the federal government involved in this criminal conduct but then again, the federal government's involved in health care. So somehow it seems like they ought to be able to be involved in this. But you knew more about this case. Well, I've learned most of what I know about it from Elizabeth Yore, as a matter of fact. So I'm so pleased that you've had her on the program. And, and you know, you've said nice things about us, Debbie. What you're doing with this program is really important. Thank and you. I'm so appreciative of having the opportunity to participate in it myself from time to time. And all of my friends seem to as well. <laughs> I which, have all your friends on. I do. Yeah. really good. So thank you. <laughs> But Elizabeth Yore has made the point that um, this is a judge that has, it seems from the moment he got this case, been trying to figure out how to get it off of his Uh. docket. And what he's done repeatedly is uh, find in favor of the defendants to strike charge after charge after charge from the uh, Bill of Particulars against them. And now this, other friends of mine lawyers uh, say he's got a technically sound ruling here because there's a technical flaw in this law that I guess because it was never actually, you know, enforced until now, um, nobody paid a whole lot of attention to. But the problem is basically this. That unless the law specifically refers to the Commerce Clause, there isn't the hook for the federal government to be involved to in have matters jurisdiction. like this, to have jurisdiction. And somehow, back in 1996, when this law was enacted, that was oversighted, uh, however you want to say it. It was a mistake in the drafting. It can be readily fixed, we believe. And here's the thing, Debbie. We've been hearing a lot lately, as I'm sure you've noticed, about the year of the women, electorally and so on. We've got 23 of them in the United States Senate right now. There is a piece of legislation that had been sent over by the House of Representatives, adopted unanimously a year ago, that would triple the penalties associated with this female genital mutilation uh, statute. All the Senate needs to now do 
is take up that freestanding piece of legislation, put in the Commerce Clause language, make it clear that you can't do interstate trafficking of these girls or women for the purposes of mutilating their genitals, and pass it back to the House and get it done during this lame duck session. And we have a chance to remedy a problem that exists right now, which is, in the absence of this federal law, there are 23 states in the United States of America where it is not illegal to do this horrific, the ultimate of child abuse in those states. That has to be fixed, I believe, at the state level too. But getting this federal law back in good order is a first step that could be done now. You know, what occurred to me uh, reading about this case, too, was the concern that there's a, uh, you and I talk about the idea of Islamization and the idea of, which is essentially pushing Islamic values uh, as as just as a means of spreading Islam around the world. And the idea that a court is striking down this law, I, I just think it just inspires those who want to spread Islam, who want to say it can't be challenged, that we, we have priority, we have primacy, Sharia, you know, Sharia is what should be the case. This really, this case really helped the Islamization mindset. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, and not only that, but as I say, it has made it legal in 23 states of the Union to impose this Sharia-driven horror. Brutality. On, on, and by the way, just as I'm sure Elizabeth talked with you about when she was on, to give people a sense of the magnitude of this horror, according to the Centers for Disease Control, 513,000 women and girls in America either have already been mutilated genitally or will be. And you know the thing that gets me? The reason that that's happening in this country, and there's some people, the apologists for it, say, well, it's it's just... It's cultural. Like, m- m- it's like male circumcision. It's just female yeah, circumcision. Right. It's like male castration. Right. And that's what I analogy. keep coming back to is if there were half a million little boys in America who were at risk of being castrated. I'm pretty sure this would be a prominent public policy issue, but it's not, and I'm not into identity politics, mind you, but it's not because I think they're girls, and not only that, frankly, I say this to all of those feminists and and democratic identity politics types, they're girls of color, overwhelmingly. And they're being ignored, and their genitals are at risk in America is outrageous. Two other things to add to that. One is that there were recent cases, I'm not sure which country they were in Africa, I think in Somalia, but a young girl, a 10-year-old girl, and again, these are this is done around the world in unclean conditions and with, by, these broken are not, d- yeah, broken bottles, like the sharp edge of broken, gl- uh, to get a sharp enough surface to cut uh, the genitals of these girls. Young girl, 10-year-old girl, bled to death. In fact, there were two relatively recently, so this is actually leading to lethality. Plus, the other thing is, what they're doing is uncorrectable. It isn't like they set a bone incorrectly and they go back and fix it. it, it you, you've destroyed and you've removed um, 
normal pieces of, of female anatomy. That's one piece. But the other is right here in America, Somalia is a country that has many Somalian refugees are in Minnesota. The percentage of girls who are subject to female genital mutilation in Somalia is like 93%. 98. It's 98? 98. Oh, okay. So now Virtual. we have... We have in America, we have a burgeoning population of Somalian girls in the state of Minnesota whose parents have brought their faith, their thinking, their viewpoints, including on this. And so this isn't like an abstract, well, who knows? These are real people, real faces. If you're listening in Minnesota, I know we have some listeners in Minnesota. These are girls that your kids might might go to school with who are going to have this happen at home and they cannot fight. let, let Let me just bring this home. The girls that were mutilated by these Muslim doctors in Michigan were not from Somalia. They were part of what is called the Dawoodi Bora sect, which is actually from India. And every girl in that sect has to be cut, according to their spiritual leader. And when you think about this, that means that every one of the 22 mosques of the Dawoodi Bora sect in the United States are doing three of which are right here in Texas, one right here in Dallas, one in Houston, one in San Antonio. Where are those girls being cut? I'd like to know. And is somebody going to enforce the laws of Texas to ensure they're not cut? And where are the feminists speaking up? I'm Debbie George Addis. We have Frank Gaffney in studio. This is America Can We Talk. If you're on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty, From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. 
The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Folks, I do this show entirely out of love of this precious country and the desire to try to preserve it and do our job in this generation to preserve this extraordinary experiment in liberty. I could not do the show without our sponsor. Our sponsor for America Can We Talk is GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Many thanks to GC Works for sponsoring the show and letting me talk about America every week. Amen. (laughs) Amen to that. And we have in studio Frank Gaffney, who is a a longtime friend and frequent guest, but he's also just a national treasure. His organization, Center for Security Policy, has done so much to raise awareness around this country about various threats for national security, most especially including uh, Mike. What I learned so much from them about was the uh, threat of Islamization and the danger of Sharia supremacism. But they also cover other topics. I want to turn and talk about China and in this last segment. And, you know, China is a um, – it's interesting. President Trump has been the most boldly outspoken on probably thousands of issues, but including on China. And so I just want to start China. with – China. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I didn't say it correctly. Thank you. But on a serious note, do you think that we are – under President uh, Trump's time, have we become too confrontational with them? Are we on track, off track? What, what's your sense of how we're doing dealing with China? I think the Chinese have been at war with this country, Debbie, um, arguably since 1991, when right after the fall of the Soviet Union, the then leader of the place, Deng Xiaoping, told his 
government that the Soviets had lost the Cold War and there was now a new one on and that it was with China. He said that to the Communist Party? Yeah, well, to at least the Politburo or his immediate entourage. I'm not sure. I don't think it was a public statement, but apparently it's been now made public that he did say it. And about eight years later, two senior colonels in the People's Liberation Army published a book. And you don't publish a book when you're colonels in the PLA without permission. The blessings, yeah. (laughs) And that book was entitled Unrestricted Warfare. Yes. And what it essentially laid out was 20 or so lines of attack against the United States that would enable the Chinese to wage war against us, unrestricted war against us, without having to go, as they say, kinetic, because they knew they weren't strong enough to do that at the time. But they identified a number of ways in which they could destroy this country, um, notably through economic warfare against us. Um, also electromagnetic pulse attacks, um, also using our own technology against us, uh, how they could steal it, expropriate it, and turn it around for their own purposes, notably in the cyber warfare space. These are the sorts of things that have been the hallmarks of China. And you know what's really fascinating is just within the past couple of weeks, the Hoover Institution published a report Uh, The editor was Larry Diamond, and it basically polled, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen experts, China hands, as they've been called, I think all of whom had basically taken the line, don't worry, we're going to bring China peacefully into the civilized world. Wait, these China experts had taken that position? Yeah, yeah. This was the party line from our China hands. And the point of this study was they've all realized they got this completely wrong. One of the most prominent of these China hands, I don't know if he contributed to this particular study, but he wrote a major book on the subject called The Hundred Year Marathon. It's a guy I've known for years, Michael Pillsbury. Mike Pillsbury was among the first of these fellows to say, you know, I've really messed up. The Chinese are not interested in the peaceful rise that we kept talking about. They are intent on displacing this country, which, let's face it, is the only real impediment to their ambitions to be the dominant power in the world. In the world. And they're working very hard at it. And there are some people who say, well, you know, by 2035, they'll have a military that is equivalent to ours and an economy that is substantially larger. I don't know whether that's right or whether it's 2025, but whatever it is, the trajectory is unmistakable. And it's why I say, you know, Donald Trump has not been over the top in his warnings about China or his efforts to take corrective action against them. It just happens that tariff wars and trade wars and the kind of... uh, intense struggle that we've seen, the pressure that he's brought to bear on the Chinese, is just one facet of a very complicated and increasingly dynamic and even volatile sort of uh, warfare that they are engaged in against us, and we have mostly yet to respond to. We're mostly asleep to it. 
mostly we've been looking the other way. But partly, again, that's because the people who are most expert in this, to say nothing of the people who've been doing business in China, yes, who often serve, let's face it, as lobbyists for the Chinese. Well, even some of them are now getting fed up with what's been happening because they've been compelled in order to have any hope of having access to the fabled 1.2, 1.5, whatever the number is, of Chinese People. you know, mouths that need our toothbrushes or yeah. toothpaste or whatever. They're not getting that access, even if they give up the seed corn of their technology, which they've been compelled to do. And most of them are wise enough now to realize this has been a mugs game. They've lost their shirt. But there are still some like Google, for example, who not only are so determined to be in that market, but they're determined to help the Chinese censor yes. their own products and the rest of the Internet to boot. It's that kind of complicity that is creating a bigger problem for us in China and I'm afraid is going to ultimately cost us lives. You know, I want to put a tiny bit of perspective here. This is just such a good conversation. I'm so glad we decided to. There were only about 35 topics I had in mind to ask you about, but unfortunately, we focus on China. We'll come back for another four yeah. days. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what I was going to say is back to what I mentioned earlier about Frank Gaffney's background. When you were involved in Washington looking at the threat before the Cold War, looking at the threat of Russia, you have to understand, and he came to, I learned from reading what he's written and listening to him that you can't fight it's not just a military fight it is a information it is technology it is a um propaganda political it's economic and these are things we don't see as americans where we just think well we have a pretty darn strong military and they're the smartest ones around and we could always defeat uh an enemy militarily or we thought we could i don't know where we are right now but we used to say that was true but the idea of undermining america in a multitude of ways that are more hidden more insidious and unseen, and these are, I mean, the, the, if, if China invaded our borders tomorrow, we would line up the military and, and fight back. But the idea of having this um, economic warfare, unrestricted war was a term you were describing, but economic warfare, technology warfare, where ultimately we are weakened as a country. And, and not only is that permitted to happen, but it is eased along its way by your talk, what you were saying about the um, people doing business over there. They don't want to alienate them. But there's also this cultural vapidity, that's not the right word, cultural weakness, vault, just just the wanting so much to celebrate cultural diversity and we're all the same and we all the same. Ideas- or actually, we're worse. I think is the the subtext. Yes, that's of it. true. America's better. always a bad guy. Th- those other cultures are better than ours. But we're but so here, busy celebrating the them, we can get defeated by them. Yeah. You 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 made reference to it now twice, and I'm really appreciative that you did. Uh, my old boss Ronald Reagan put together a strategy back in the heyday of the Cold War, 1983, as I recall, called National Security Decision Directive 75. It was a highly classified document at the time, and I'm proud to say that I had a small role in helping him execute this strategy for destroying the Soviet Union. That was its express purpose. But as you say, Debbie, he brought to bear all of those instruments of national power, perhaps most importantly in a way, though the military 
check on what the Soviets were doing, making sure they weren't going to win an arms race was very important. The strategic defense initiative, with which I was very deeply involved, was very important. What he did on arms control was very important. But what fundamentally took them down was he took away their cash flow. He waged decisively economic warfare against them. And that's the kind of strategy that we need to be now playing. And I think Donald Trump intuitively understands that. And I don't know if there's an NSDD 75 somewhere in the classified documents of this administration. I hope there is. But that's what we need because we are at war. And if we don't resist what they're doing, we are going to find ourselves on the losing end of it. Make no mistake about it. This is so darn interesting. I wish we had much more time, but we don't very much. You know, at the start of the show tonight, I was ta- I did my first five on the uh, riots in France. And just the idea that it isn't just because they're upset about the rise in fuel taxes. They, they don't like it. And they already pay $7 a gallon, some crazy thing for gas. But they, uh, and we, but the, um, but the worst thing that is uh, now ongoing and that is, um, that I think is what we need to be watching for over, um, in, Watching what's happening in France, not let it happen here. They've destroyed their culture, their mm-hmm. culture of of uh, pride in Western civilization, and their their culture of faith. They've they moved to secularism and socialism and dependence on government and weakness, and so they and, and supranationalism. I mean, the irony of having Macron talking about uh, patriotism when to what? effectively they've replaced it with this idea elite that they're going to be loyal to elite globalism in Europe. Yes, and this elite globalism, it causes you to fail to value your precious country. And this is part of why Donald Trump won the election in 2016. Maybe he wouldn't have used all the words we're using tonight. Maybe he wouldn't, uh, his voters wouldn't have, but they intuitively felt this guy loves America. He knows something is good about America. So we have 30 seconds left in this, uh, and unfortunately fast time. Um, so anyway, I'm, I think we ought to learn the lessons from France and Macron and don't let it happen here. These lessons you're talking about, Frank Gaffney, are so important about recognizing many, many ways in which a culture can be destroyed without a mill- without a shot fired in 30 seconds or less. Tell them where your websites are. 15 seconds, you tell me. Your website, where people can find more about you. It's very easy. Secure Freedom. That's what we do. Securefreedom.org. This is Debbie George Addis, Frank Gaffney, America Can We Talk. Come back next week. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.